Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. It's so great to be back together again. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're feeling well, uh, or at least you're doing better. Uh, man, I so much miss seeing the church. You probably feel the same way. I really miss the fellowship. I miss being together and singing together and just having that worship experience together, which is uh, so important for us as a church. So the good news is next week, January 23rd, we will be back in the building. So if you're feeling well and uh, you want to come out, please come out. Let's get back to the fellowship that we all enjoy so much. So next week, 23rd in the building, we will live stream the service as we always do. Uh, But if you can make it out, please come out. I think it does so much for the soul and so much for our our, uh, fellowship to just be there when we can be there. So next week, please try to work that out. Last week, we talked about our 2022 theme. The title is Redefine. And we said that Redefine was to give new meaning to, to re-examine, to reevaluate, especially with a view to, to change. Uh, another way we defined that was to rethink. And we are rethinking a lot of things uh, and redefining a lot of things that we do and how we are and how we act. And, and that's a good thing. We're, we're growing. We're maturing. And we should always be taking a look at what we do to make sure that what we're doing is really what we should be doing. Now, in that message, we talked about the things that we're not going to redefine, that we're just going to define. And that's God. We're not redefining God. We're not redefining Jesus. We're not redefining the Bible. Those are actually quite complete the way they are. But what we are going to redefine is how we worship God, how we follow Jesus, and how we use and how we hold to the Bible. Now, if you missed that message, I really want to encourage you to go back and give a listen. It's archived on the the Facebook page. There's a podcast. You can also, you can watch the video if you like, but but go back and listen or, or watch that so that you have a better idea of what we're doing this year, where we're going this year. That would be an important thing for you to know. Uh, We mentioned Sunday that there was no better example of redefining a relationship with God than what we see in Jesus. I mean, he really shook things up. He challenged tradition. He challenged hypocrisy. He challenged legalism. He challenged religious pride and arrogance and stubbornness. And he preached humility and grace and a willingness to to listen, to learn, and to change. And as we go through this year, Jesus will be our example of redefining our relationship with God. And we're going to approach this year a little differently. We're going to go through a series of three-week lessons. So that's three weeks on, on every topic. And that gives us time to really dig deep and unpack some of the some of the finer detail you know what it really means to to worship God to follow Jesus and really use the Bible so uh, I think that's going to really help us quite a bit Uh, topics are going to include how Jesus redefined worship to really be from the heart how Jesus redefined devotion 
as lordship, how Jesus redefined commitment as discipleship, how Jesus redefined spiritual relationships, gender roles, mission, ministry, leadership, all these things by his standard. And so today we're going to start with worship. Turn your Bibles over to 2 Kings chapter 17. So today is part one of worship. And uh, today we're going to be talking about spirit and truth. Worshiping in the spirit and truth. Now, we know what worship is. We've talked about it a couple of times now. It's always good to get a reminder, right? I need a lot of reminders. My wife is great with that. She writes things down. I get little notes. I get texts. I get messages. So we all need reminders. So we know what worship is. Worship is uh, the act of total and pure adoration and surrender to God. It's being totally submissive to God's authority and God's wisdom, God's will, God's judgment, and really, ultimately, God's sovereignty over all things. Now, that's a lot to think about, right? You could be overwhelmed by thinking, man, how am I going to do all those things every day? Well, it's possible. We just have to learn. We have to dig a little deeper into what those things mean. But, you know, when you think about God's relationship with his people, now that includes us, and really going back to the very, very beginning of God's relationship with his people, God's people from the start have always known this. They've always known the importance of worship. They've always understood the command to worship. They've even understood the responsibility to worship. Worship was not a mystery to our Old Testament forerunners. God has always been big on worship to him as being sovereign. Now, let me show you the scripture in 2 Kings, verse 17. We're going to pick this up in verse 35. When the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites... He commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them, serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you shall bow down and to him you shall offer sacrifices. You must always be careful to keep the decrees and the regulations, the laws and commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I've made with you. And do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Now, I think God made himself quite clear, don't you? I mean, he repeats himself several times. He reinforces, he repeats. You know, that's what a good teacher does. That's what we do with our kids, right? You don't say something once, you say it. Go back and say it again. Figure out a different way to say it. You restate it. Hopefully they get it. God wanted to make sure that, that his people understood that I have created you to worship me. And it's imperative that you worship me and you worship me alone. And God also wanted to make sure that they know how to worship. And so from the start, that was quite clear. Now, we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament Jesus was very clear on this. It, it did not escape his notice. Maybe other people it did, but Jesus was fully aware of this worship to God. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 4, he's, uh, he's sent into the desert. And uh, he goes in there 
to, to develop and to really uh, hone and strengthen and to refine his relationship with God. He had so much work ahead of him. This was the beginning of his ministry. He goes into the desert and he is just hammered by Satan. You know the, the feeling, right? When you're trying to work on your relationship with God, you're trying to become more refined in your walk with God, your walk with Christ, and you feel like, man, the, the, the harder I try to get closer to God, the more it seems that Satan is on the attack. Well, naturally, right? Satan's going to back off if you're not even trying. But the moment you start trying to get close to God, you can expect to be hammered by Satan. Well, Jesus faces that. So he's in the desert and Satan is just coming at him and tempting him and, and coming at him and, and, and testing him. And when he went through all this with Satan, Jesus knew exactly how to respond. And he says this to Satan, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so with Jesus, he not only knew this, but he was about to totally redefine it. So let's take a look over in John chapter 4. This is a great, a great story. We're going to not get into the entire story. It's, it's quite long, but we're just going to highlight a little bit of it. I'll explain a bit what's going on here. John chapter 4. So in this story, Jesus has a very unusual and a very eye-opening conversation with a woman at the well. Now, there were no, uh, you know, indoor plumbing, right? So if you wanted water, you had to go to the communal well. And people would gather at the well all the time. And they would they would go to the well. They would draw their water. Perhaps they would talk. They would chat. And then they would, you know, go on their merry way. Well, when Jesus goes to the well at this particular time, he defied at least two really well-established religious and social norms. One was speaking with a woman. Now, Jesus was a Jew, and this was just something you did not do in public. And so Jesus approaches this woman. He begins to speak to her. She was probably shocked, but she engages in the conversation. Hey, if he's willing to, I'm willing to. So, so that was the, the first thing. But the second thing is even a bit more significant, that she was a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were part Jew, part Gentile, but it was that part Gentile that uh, really... Uh, for the Jews, it was forbidden to be able to, to associate with them. And so Jesus talks to a woman. She happens to be a Samaritan. So he was really setting new ground right off the bat, right out of the, out of the gate there. And so they begin this, this conversation about water. You know, do you have anything to draw the water with? No, do you? No, you know, so it, it seems like a pretty innocent conversation. But the, 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 the topic very quickly turns to worship. And Jesus is no longer talking about getting water out of the well, but he's now talking about living water. And we pick up the story there. So this is in verse 19, John chapter 4. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, will worship the Father in the Spirit 
and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In this relatively short conversation, Jesus put some 700 years of religious tradition on notice. It's not about this mountain. It's not about that mountain or this town or that place or that building or this sacrifice or that sacrifice or this ritual or that ritual. It's not about worshiping what you don't know. Rather, it's about worshiping what you do know. And that was a very profound statement. That'll become clearer, I think, in just a little bit here. But it's not about what you don't know. You've got to worship in truth and in the spirit. You've got to worship what you do know, or it's not truly worship. You're just checking in. You're, you're filling in the boxes. You're, you're going through the, the, the rituals. Now, for both Jews and Samaritans. I think worship was at best a bit confusing, maybe even a lot confusing. And there were few who actually connected with it. And for that matter, there were few that through their worship actually connected with God. Because the way they understood worship was a seemingly endless display of rituals and sacrifices and protocols, and regulations, and do's, and don'ts. And, and somewhere, way off in the distance, out of sight somewhere, was God. Hopefully noticing, and, and hopefully taking all of this in. And so the average Jewish worshiper was thinking, as long as I keep doing all the right stuff, whether I'm connecting with God or not, whether God is near, whether God is far, you know, I don't really know where God is, but as long as I keep doing all the right stuff, I, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm not really sure if I'm good. Well, the truth is, they weren't good. The system was flawed. Now, it wasn't flawed because of God. It's not like God created something that was just a really bad idea. The, the system was flawed because of them. They were missing God completely, and it was killing them. And so Jesus, in this conversation with the woman at the well, essentially says, okay, we are done with that. We are done with that system. It's time for something different. <clears throat> and so he makes this statement, the time is coming, and in fact is already here, when the true worshipers, so now he's saying that there are worshipers and then there are true worshipers, which would mean what? Well, there are true worshipers and there are false worshipers. But he's saying that the time is coming and uh, is here and it's coming when the true worshipers will worship in the spirit and in the truth, which perhaps is indicating that people worshiping at that time were not worshiping in the spirit and in truth. And so Jesus speaks of, of two time frames here. He says now and later. Spirit, if you notice in your Bible, is uppercase, 
right? So when we see spirit in lower lowercase, it's different. But when you see it in uppercase, this is like this is a part of God. It's not like spirited. Lowercase would be spirited, you know, worshiping in the spirit. Lowercase maybe that would be like lively and, and energetic. And there's nothing wrong with that. I guess that's a good thing. But but this is more. He's saying a time will come when you're going to be worshiped in the in the uppercase spirit, in that part of God. This is deeper. This is worship with God, not just to God. And I think those are very different. To worship with God versus just worshiping to God. Now, as Jesus is speaking there, the Spirit is certainly present in his being, right? That was part of his nature, which is why he said, you know, that it has now come, meaning through him. But then he's also saying, and a time is coming. And that was an indication for us that we will, at some point, is what he's telling this woman, that, that, that we will, that the true worshipers will worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, it's what we see a little further. Just flip over or scroll ahead to John chapter 7. You see Jesus saying something very similar just a little bit later. And this is in verse 38 of chapter 7. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water. Right. So he's talking about the living water again. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit. Okay, still that uppercase. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Later to receive. That's important. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So God is spirit. And along with that, uh, we have the truth. That's where we need to be for true worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, the poor woman is is clearly not getting it. She's like, okay, wow, that sounds really good. I'm not quite sure what you're saying. But look, I know the Messiah is coming, and maybe he's going to ex explain this a little better than you just did. Jesus is saying, well, no, in fact, that is me. I am, I whom you are referring to is, is he. So what does this all mean for us? What is worshiping in the spirit? And in truth, what does that mean every day of our lives for those of us that claim to be disciples? Well, let's break that down. Let's start with truth. Move ahead a little further to John chapter 8. And we're going to pick this up in verse 30, John chapter 8. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what was he talking about? These are people that have said, okay, Jesus, we get it. We understand, you know, uh, we are going to make a decision to follow you. What what truth? What freedom? And you know, I, I, I love the response from these believing Jews in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say? that we shall be set free. I mean, did they forget all the years of captivity as slaves in, in Egypt? And that wasn't the only time. I mean, did they simply forget? Did, did, did that 
time of, of captivity not count for anything? How could they have missed that? Well, when you think about their relationship with God and how they pursue worship, from the time of the Exodus, their entire worship experience revolved around the pursuit of freedom. And, and you can track this all the way through from that from that Exodus moment on, it was all about wanting to be free, needing to be free. Free from the Egyptians, from the Assyrians, from the Amorites, from the Babylonians. I mean, just to name a few, there were there was constant, constant quest and pursuit of freedom. Now, Jesus knew that, and he takes it a step further. Look at what he says in verse 34. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son set you, sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so he essentially tells them, it's not, it's not the slavery of the body that I'm talking about. It's a, it's, the, it's a slavery of the heart and slavery of the mind. And we all know what that feels like. It's being set free from the grip and the slavery of sin. That's what Jesus was bringing to the table. That was the freedom that, that, he, was, that he was promising. This, this slavery of sin, being set free from that. And he's telling them, if you listen to me and you follow me and you hold to my teachings, then that freedom will be yours. And he's essentially saying, let your worship be in response to that and be motivated by that freedom that I am really going to set your heart and your mind and your soul free. Our worship today, brothers and sisters, if it is to be truthful, will be centered and grounded on the fact that Jesus saves. That Jesus sets our hearts and our minds free. But there's something really amazing that, that comes along with that. And it's this promise of the Spirit. Now, remember what we saw uh, back in John 7, verse 39, when Jesus says that, that that spirit hasn't yet come yet because I've not yet been glorified. So this was a, a, a future thing. Well, in Acts chapter 2, we see that that time came. And Peter preaches probably his most important sermon. We're not going to look at all of it, but I just want to highlight a little bit of it. This is Acts chapter 2. And most of you are familiar with this. If you're new to the church, maybe you're not. If you're visiting... And, uh, and watching for the first time, you may have no clue about this. So let me just read a little bit. Peter gets up and he preaches this, this message about their repentance and their forgiveness of sins. And we pick it up in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, here's the important part. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember, Jesus talked about being set free from our sin, being baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness, which is the being set free of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we see this, this promised Holy Spirit coming into play. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so this, this gift of the Holy Spirit, this, this receiving of the Holy Spirit, is the other part of Jesus redefining worship. Let's take a look at that. Now, although God's Spirit was certainly present in the Old Testament, right? It's not like the Spirit was, you know, just come to life in the New Testament. You can go through the Old Testament and see plenty of evidence of God's Holy Spirit. But it wasn't like this. This was very different, and it wasn't available like this. This was Jesus ushering something totally new, a brand new experience. Back in this, this Old Testament, Old Covenant worship, the Spirit of God was as distant as God was. Jesus brings us all together as one. Our worship is not a part from the Spirit. It's because of the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit because the Spirit is now in us. It brings us and God together. Jesus has totally redefined worship. No longer do we have a distant relationship with God. But now we have a close family with God. In Romans chapter 8, you can turn there if you like, you can just listen, write it down. Romans chapter 8, a great scripture that, that really defines and explains this, this closer worship that we have with God that was not available to uh, our Old Testament forerunners, but that Jesus created, that Jesus redefined. It's a, it's a different, it's a better, closer, more powerful, more meaningful worship with God. In Romans 8, verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received, okay, which is what Peter just talked about, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Remember, this all works together. Remember when, when Jesus, back in Romans 8, talked about, that we have this sonship now through Christ. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It's a great scripture. So he says that now we have this family. We have God as Abba, Father. This word Abba, this title Abba, is the, the closest, most intimate, personal title as father that you can give to God. So it, it would be like, and we've said this often, it's like dad. It's like, you know, God is not this far off, 
you know, entity someplace, but now God is like your dad, is your dad. Then Jesus is your brother. We share a brotherhood with the Savior of the world. That's pretty amazing. And all of us in the church together become God's adopted sons and, and daughters as we worship in the Spirit and in truth. And so I hope that helps. That's just part one. Next week we're going to get a bit more specific as we look at our individual worship to God. So what does it mean like for me as, a, as, a, as Jeff or you as, as whomever to actually have that worship with God? And, and we're going to call that message worthy to worship. Who should we be to be able to present ourselves to that, to that holy Ava in worship? And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. We'll be back in the building, so uh, please make your way there. Uh, and again, the message will be live streamed. If for some reason you're not able to meet there or come out, you're, you're not well or whatever. But if you can at, at all make it out, please come out. We're going to have a great time together. And I look forward to seeing all of you. Thanks so much for your time. Have an awesome day. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.